Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Donald Trump rolls into all fear all the time. He's tweeted a new ad in which a Hispanic guy, I think he's Mexican, who killed a couple of cops in the United States, had been deported to Mexico. Mexico deported him back to us so that he could stand trial. At his trial, he was like, yeah, I want to kill more cops. So Trump turns this into a 60-second TV ad. It's just like Willie Horton, right? And he has this interview with Axios that's just absolutely breathtaking. The entire thing is going to play on, uh, I believe, HBO this weekend. A clip of it was released this morning, and some of the news media picked it up. Jim Vandehei, the uh, reporter from Axios, he he said, this is what he said to Trump. He said, don't you worry at all. You're the most powerful man in the world. And if you say that word, enemy, enemy, there are tens of thousands of people who go to a stadium to listen to you and people go on social media and they get themselves so jazzed up. That's got to be part of you. There's got to be a part of you that's scared somebody's going to take it too far. And without hesitation, Trump said, it's my only form of fighting back. And then he added, I wouldn't be here without these attacks. And... In fact, he said, I think I'm doing a service by attacking the, the, the media and calling them enemies of the people. He said, people, people write stories about me that are so wrong. Oh, poor little snowflake Donnie. But, you know, the reality is that the only reason or the main reason that they're campaigning on fear is that they've got nothing else, the Republicans. I mean, in, in the 1980s, And those of you old enough to remember this, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. After after Jimmy Carter went down in flames because uh, uh, Reagan's campaign chief cut a deal with the Iranians and and Abdullah Bani Sadr, President Bani Sadr of Iran, now lives in the United States, a professor up in the Northeast. And, you know, he he wrote an op-ed. You can read it in the Christian Science Monitors. Just explicitly say, I was president of Iran. The Reagan campaign contacted the Bullahs. They said, if you'll hold the hostages until after the election, we'll sell you spare parts and, and, uh, and weaponry 
for all that American-made military and air force that you've got that the Shah used to have. You need American parts. Here's how you'll get them. We'll sell them to you under the table. But you just have to get us elected. And the Iranians did it. And so, so you know, Reagan comes into power and all these think tanks that had been started back nine years earlier after the Powell memo, they were just cranking stuff out. You know, the Republican Party is the party of ideas. You know, we've got all these great new concepts. And, and Reagan came out and said, you know, government is terrible. You got to trust the big corporations and the billionaires instead of the government. The nine most dangerous and frightening words, words in the English language are, I'm from the government. I'm here to help. No, you're, you should be getting help from your church. You know, if you, if you are, need food, if you need medical care, if you need help, go to your local church or go to your local business or go to your local billionaire. They'll help you out. Government shouldn't be doing that. And for, you know, five, six years of the Reagan administration, a lot of Americans bought that. They thought, okay, you know, we'll try this. It's very different. We haven't seen this in our lifetimes. You know, the people who had seen America when it ran the way that Reagan wanted, which was back in the 1920s, they were dying, you know, or old folks nobody was paying attention to. So Reagan sold this, this you know, this, this scam. But, you know, within eight years, most Americans had figured out that it was a scam. So when Reagan's vice president, George Herbert Walker Bush, wanted to run for president in 88, he didn't have anything to run on anymore. Right? I mean, the tax cuts had already happened. And they hadn't really changed the dynamics of the American economy. It was, it was Jimmy Carter who wrung the inflation out, by and large. I mean, there was still a little bit in the first year or two of Reagan's administration. But much like, you know, Obama putting the economy back on track and then Trump claiming credit for it, really Carter had put the economy back on track. And, you know, it hurt him. I mean, those high interest rates to stop the inflation from the oil embargo as a consequence of the oil embargo, it hurt him politically. And then Reagan claimed credit for it, just like Trump is doing. But anyhow, by 88, Americans had figured this out. This, this is a whole, the whole thing is a scam. So what did George Herbert Walker Bush do to run for a re-election, or to, to run for election as president in 88? The Willie Horton ads, right? He had Paul Manafort's shop put together these racist ads claiming that Michael Dukakis had let this black rapist murderer out of jail and he did it again. And... You know, it worked. It worked fear and, and, and specifically racialized fear got George Bush, the elder, elected. Overwhelmingly, by the way. And, you know, and Dukakis was just wiped out. In 92, when George Bush was running for re-election, Basically, the only policy idea at that point that the Republicans had, which they had been pushing for a long time, was NAFTA. It was so-called global free trade. Do away with our tariffs. Stop protecting American industries. Let big companies in America ship jobs overseas. And the problem that he had in 92, trying to sell this, this idea, most Americans weren't buying it. But Bill Clinton was also trying to sell that idea, which is why Ross Perot came into this race as an independent I mean, literally create a political party out of nothing, had as a running mate, Admiral Stockdale, who couldn't, you know, he was like, who am I? Why am I here? I mean, I realize it was rhetorical questions, but, you know, the guy didn't, didn't know how to give a political speech. And despite that, Ross Perot took almost 20% of the vote. But the Republicans, basically, all they had was a scam. 
And so, again, George W. Bush, he lost the election by a half million votes in 2000. His brother had to suppress the black vote in Florida for George Bush to even get within 500 votes of Al Gore. And then he had to have five Republicans on the Supreme Court hand him the, hand him the presidency because the Republicans had nothing to sell other than fear. And then 9-11 happened and George Bush kicked into high fear mode. Oh, yeah, we're going to have wars in countries that had nothing to do with this, but we're going to have wars because we need to be afraid. And that got him reelected. Fear. It's all the Republicans have. And then Obama came along and said, no, I don't want to pitch fear. I'm, you know, I'm I, hope and change. And the Americans were like, thank God. And Obama gets two terms and then he gets term limited. And Hillary Clinton comes along and she says, I'm going to campaign on hope and change, too. We've got a forward looking progressive agenda. And she actually did. And the Democratic Party did. Didn't go quite as far as Bernie's did, but it was pretty good. And she won by three million votes. And the only reason that, that Donald Trump became president was because Scott Walker suppressed the vote of about 200,000 people in Wisconsin. Rick Snyder suppressed the vote of about 150,000 people in Michigan. I don't, I don't remember the name. Of, I'm not sure I ever even knew the name of the governor of Pennsylvania. Suppressed the vote there by over 100,000 people. And John Kasich in Ohio suppressed the vote in Ohio by hundreds of thousands of people. And in each one of those four states, Donald Trump won by, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 people. In total, 72,000 people. When the voter suppression effort in those four states was like over a million people or in the neighborhood of a million people. Because, again, the Republicans have nothing. They've got nothing except, oh, my God, be afraid. Look out. There's brown people coming for you. Whether it was brown Muslims or whether it was brown Mexicans or whether it's brown Guatemalans now, whatever it is, it's like, oh, my God, there's brown people coming. That's all they've got to sell. I mean, their policies are so insane that we might be looking at a cancer epidemic in the United States caused by pharmaceuticals as a direct result of what Republicans say are their policies. This is the Tom Hartman Program. The question I would ask you, given this whole fear thing, is how do we best combat fear? I think you do it with hope and change. But what do do you think? Michael in Imperial Beach, uh, California. Hey, Michael, what's up? Hey, Mr. Hartman. Okay, all fear, all the time. I believe it started with the caravan in Kavanaugh, who was first by Newt Gingrich. Now, I saw your interview with him on your show about two years ago. Is his goal to absolutely destroy the word compromise, which is the way that a two-party system must work in order to create a better union? Yeah, that was the essence of his contract on America back in 19, what was it, 94. They took the House. You know, six of the ten items all pointed back to the same piece of legislation, which was a massive tax cut for rich people and corporations. Gingrich introduced the concept of you never compromise and these are enemies. And all. I mean, I think that Newt Gingrich probably more than anybody in the recent era, in the last 30 years, has been responsible for the radicalization of the Republican Party, or, or at least setting the tone for it. And he continues to. He continues to be a spokesman for this kind of stuff. And, okay, so you know, who, who, is, who is the power behind Newt Gingrich? Is it the Koch brothers? Is it, I don't know. Oh, it's the right, wing, the, the, right, yeah, the, the right wing billionaires. Again, this goes back to Reagan. It, it, well, it goes back to the Powell Memo in 71, and then Lewis Powell in 76 on the Supreme Court saying that you know billionaire and corporate money 
being thrown into political campaigns is simply uh, free speech protected by the First Amendment. And then that gets us Ronald Reagan. And then Reagan uses that to consolidate the power of the very wealthy by blowing up the, our tax structure that was maintaining a, a solid middle class and some semblance of, of uh, you know, less inequality anyway in the United States. And, you know, here we are. And it's all been financed by the billionaires who they've got to be looking at the people who watch Fox News and just laughing their heads off. You know, these, these idiots are so afraid of thousand brown women and children coming from Guatemala while we're picking their pockets. They've just got to be laughing, Michael. Michael, thanks for the call. With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where my data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You are being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile and internet provider now that the Republicans have destroyed net neutrality. That's why I decided to take back my privacy by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, phone, and tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Tom. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash T-H-O-M for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash Tom to learn more. Thank you. Talking about fear and hate, and basically this is all the Republicans have to sell these days. On the line with us is an expert on how the brain works and how these things work. Dr. Justin Frank, he is a psychoanalyst and clinical professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Science at George Washington University. He wrote Bush on the Couch, Inside the Mind of the President, then Obama on the Couch. His latest book just came out recently, Trump on the Couch. Uh, his Twitter handle is JustinFrankMD, and the website is ObamaOnTheCouch.com. Dr. Frank, welcome back to the program. How does, how does fear work? How, how is it that politicians manipulate us with fear? Well, fear, there's an article actually just now in the New York Times today or yesterday about the power of fear, how it affects the amygdala, which is the central part of the brain. And it activates people into a feeling that they're not only threatened, but they feel an impulse to act and become violent. And fear is a fundamental emotion that babies have. They have stranger anxiety when they're eight months old. They're very frightened of uh, people who don't look like their mother or their father. So fear is very much uh, about the other. It's about someone who doesn't reflect their own face and their own image. Right. So fear is very much based on uh, seeing someone who doesn't look like their mother or father when they're very little. And that's called stranger anxiety when they're about eight months old. When the baby is about two, they have what's called night terrors that everybody who's had small children is familiar with where you have to go into the room and turn on the light to scare the demons away and reassure the child. I think that one of the things that's important about night terrors is that we all have had that, at least most of us, in our own experience. And so when Donald Trump Stokes fear, fear about the Mexican immigrants, fear about Muslims, fear about the news media. All of those things tap into those primitive feelings that are stored deep in the unconscious, deep in the brain, and they activate a very a primitive part of the self. What happens is there is a feeling at that time 
that words don't work, that there is no way to contain the fear. The goal in <clears throat> development is to be able to use words and put them in place so they can contain the fear. And I think that's one of the most important things that happens developmentally is where you can use your words, as they say, so you don't um, have to express your fear physically, violently, externalize it. And one of the things that I wrote in my book, there's a chapter there on language. And one of the things that's very clear about Donald Trump is that he has not been able to use language in the way that most of us can. And that is that as a little kid, he was very anxious, had trouble learning. And if you don't read and you can't learn, you really are much less able to contain fear. You can only use certain primitive coping mechanisms and defenses. And his had to do with being violent, making attacks, hitting out. He was always in trouble at school. And so he never really learned how to use words and language as containers to help him think. And now we see the results of this in his presidency. Now, he went to college more or less the same time I did. He's five, six years older than I am. I actually had a friend at MSU who was openly running a business selling term papers and even essays for tests and things to students. That was an era when, even in the elite universities, it was possible if you were wealthy enough and you could buy these things to literally never write a paper and still get a degree. Are you suggesting that perhaps the reason Donald Trump refuses to take the written CIA briefings is because he just can't read? Yeah, he cannot read, and that's why he cannot take them. He also but he can read a teleprompter. I mean, he reads it badly. He can read it's big print, and he's standing up, and he's moving around with a teleprompter. People with a certain kind of ADD are unable to sit still enough to read. They're very agitated. Huh. They're extremely impatient. So it's a combination of factors. It's not only the neurological wiring that makes it hard to read, which is part of it, but it's also the neurological wiring that makes a person impatient, unable to sit still, and very fidgety. Right. And I think that that's a huge part of it. In fact, I realized in the last uh, week or two that I should never have named my book Trump on the Couch because he would be too fidgety to ever get on the couch. Right. He couldn't actually lie down. Right. So the question that we're all confronted with as a nation and as individuals and frankly, uh, for the Democrats as a party and as politicians, how do you best respond to a politician who is using fear as their principal tool? I mean, it worked really well for George Herbert Walker Bush. The Willie Horton ads got him elected. It worked really well for George W. Bush. I just retweeted a clip from the 2004 Republican convention where the words 9-11 uh, were, were and, and terrorism were repeated like dozens and dozens of times by every single speaker, Laura Bush, George Bush, Right. Dick Cheney. Uh, you know, it was all fear. We were sold fear by both Bushes, and it worked for both Bushes, and it's working for Trump. What do we do? How, how do we appropriately respond to this? Well, the question is who the we is, first of all. Right. Um, what happens is that people need to find, we need to find somebody, and we only have about four days, who can talk like Franklin Roosevelt. He calmed the nation. We were terrified that we were going to lose the war in Germany. We were terrified about the Japanese invasion of Pearl Harbor. The nation was terrified, and Roosevelt had already started in '33, way before those wars, with saying the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. 
but he said it every week, a different version of it on the radio. The other thing he said was he defined fear in the second sentence of that uh, inauguration speech when he called fear nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. I remember. That is what's happening. People are paralyzed by their fear, and fear paralyzes people to take chances of talking about anything that might disrupt the status quo, that might disrupt Donald Trump, that might confront the Republicans. People are afraid to take risks, and that is the purpose of fear. It paralyzes people. George Lakoff is suggesting that every time the media parrots something that Donald Trump says, even when they do so in order to say, can you believe this latest absurd lie from Donald Trump? Here's his lie that, you know, it's like saying, don't think about an elephant. Immediately an elephant pops into mind that even when they're rebutting his lies, they're actually amplifying them. And his suggestion was that the big newspapers and, and the media should have a little section like on the page with the astrology and the cartoons that is like, you know, Donald Trump's statements for the day, a little box. And they just, you know, they, they do their reporting in that and that the news media should just handle it as, you know, well, here's the latest craziness out of the White House, quack, 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 and not do big panels and have long conversations and dig into it and make that's, it break it. You know, is that is that the best exactly way to do right. it? Yeah, the best way to do it, and there's two parts to that. What Lakoff said is very important, and that is that just by repeating it, you're reminding people of it. And one of the things about that, Lakoff learned that probably from George M. Cohan from the, during World War One who said, quote, I measure my publicity in inches. He did not really care about who said what about him as long as he was impressed. Well, that was P.T. Barnum. Trump said that his favorite author was P.T. Barnum, and P.T. Barnum said, I don't care what you say about me, just spell my name right. That's right. We can go back to that one. So the point is that people remember Trump. He has figured out how to get his name everywhere. It's all over the country. It's all over the world and his towers. And so people are very much aware. But the second reason is a psychoanalytic one, a psychological one, to not repeat all the things. And that is that um, by not paying attention to him, it will make him more anxious. It will make him less effective as a speaker and as a dangerous person. Mm. Uh, Ignoring somebody like that is very important. So you think his rallies are like a form of therapy? For him? Yeah, his rallies are for him. They are his therapy. Uh, huh. There are two forms of therapy. One is the rallies, and the other is getting into arguments with people and mocking them like Pocahontas or various other things that he says. I thought that Gillum, the guy who's running for governor in Florida, has said it the best. He always quotes his grandmother, but I have said all these things. He said that, I will not wrestle with a pig because you get dirty. But more than that, the pig likes it. Right. I really think that he has refused to engage with Trump or DeSantis on, on these issues because it really never works to the advantage. What Trump is also, and Reagan did this too, by the way, is a kind of what we call a narcissistic fighter. He's a person who fights using put down, never about content, never about policy. So even the people who are fact-checking in the media, people who are calling out Trump about his lies, is meaningless. All it does is reinforce, like Lakoff said, reinforce his name over and over oh, yeah. again. And back in the 80s. It makes him feel better. 
Yeah, and back in the 80s, they were constantly fact-checking Reagan. I actually subscribed Always. to a newsletter back then about Reagan's lies. It later became one about Dan Quayle. It never helped. I mean, when Reagan was in that debate with Mondale, and Mondale made a really brilliant point in 84, Reagan just looked at the camera and he said, that's pretty good for a younger man. Right. That was the end of it. Yeah. And look at what happened with the New York Times thing that uh, they did two years of research about Trump's father, about the entire criminal family, documented, detailed. They even printed it twice in a week, dismissed in one word by Trump, and they just stopped. Right. The reporters stopped. That's amazing. That's amazing. Dr. Justin Frank, his new book, Trump on the Couch. Dr. Frank, thanks so much for dropping by today. Thank you. It's always great talking with you. It's always informative talking with I you. I love it. Thank you, I sir. Love it. Thank you, sir. And the book again, Trump on the Couch. Uh, you can tweet him at Justin Frank MD, and the the website is ObamaOnTheCouch.com. His next most recent book. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. I've never endorsed a weight loss product, but that was before my brilliant wife, Louise, had such a great experience with Ridgizone. So good that she shared it with my producer, Sean. Sean, in your own words, talk about what you love most about Ridgizone. I've been frustrated for years, struggling with yo-yo dieting. I was really excited when I saw the results Louise had with Ridgizone. She looks amazing. I also like the fact that Ridgizone is based on university research that found a molecule that eases appetite and cravings so you eat less. Plus, Ridgizone is an FDA-accepted product designed to boost levels of that molecule along with your metabolism so you stop craving the wrong foods and burn calories faster. I'm excited to get my appetite and cravings under control so I can lose weight before the holidays. Stay tuned. Amen. Thanks, Sean. Listen, when diet and exercise aren't enough and you want to lose the weight you've been struggling to lose, get non-prescription Ridgizone. While supplies last, use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and receive 30% off plus free shipping. Go to tryriduzone.com. That's tryriduzone.com. Tryriduzone.com. Congressman Mark Pocan is on the line with us. Congressman Pocan is the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents the state of Wisconsin, the 2nd District. His website is pocan.house.gov, and you can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Congressman, welcome back. Oh, thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. So what's your sense of the state of politics and the state of the election right now? Yeah, I, you know, everything is weighing on a couple things. People getting out early voting where they can early vote. Uh, mobilizing for getting out the vote next Tuesday, November 6th. And uh, if we have the turnout, uh, we can win an awful lot of races from state legislative races uh, to Senate races. Uh, we can pick up the House uh, representatives. And uh, there's also 10 governorships we can flip, which would be uh, crucially important, including in my home state of Wisconsin. So pretty much everything is uh, on whatever people can do uh, to get out the vote in the next six days. And uh, I started out this morning in Dodgeville, Wisconsin, in Iowa County, uh, with our um, gubernatorial candidate, Tony Evers, Lieutenant Governor Candidate Mandela Barnes, Sarah Gudluski is running for state treasurer, and they're starting a bus tour. We're doing work with Tammy Baldwin. We're doing work with Randy Bryce, but in Wisconsin to win the first congressional district. But all across the country, we're seeing this, and the good news is we're seeing early voting way up, and uh, that's a good sign, I think, for us. And we just got to keep the pedal to the metal uh, until the last hour of voting on November 6th. Now, I'd like to ask you the question that I have a running bet with Louise every time on uh, MSNBC or CNN they're interviewing a politician or a pundit who is talking about the elections. My bet is they will never ask this question. And she's actually not betting that they will. It's just, you know, kind of between us. Will they? Will they? 
Um, here's the question. What role do you think or what factor do you think will be played in the election in Wisconsin, in, in your home state, by voter suppression, by this, this massive election fraud that the Republicans have been committing since the 1980s? Well, you know, we had a University of Wisconsin report on the last one, and I think, and I'm gonna, I could get the numbers off a little bit, this is from memory, but I think what they said, they thought 150,000 um, people, was it 44,000 specifically due to a photo ID requirement, they think couldn't vote. So uh, Scott Walker put in a strict photo ID requirement, which we've never had in Wisconsin. We've always had the third highest turnout between us and Minnesota and Maine, always had the highest turnouts. Oregon's getting up there pretty quick right now. Uh, but because of what happened, it was 44,000 specifically to photo ID requirements they think weren't allowed to vote. And don't forget, Donald Trump won the state by 23,000. So right. um, that's been in place. Uh, we know there will be probably plenty of other efforts. We've got a lot of people ready to do election protection on Election Day. But uh, it's absolutely a factor. And it may not be what they're doing in Georgia or North Dakota or a lot of other spots that have been very high profile, but we'll have it nonetheless. Okay. Well, let's pick up some phone calls here. Chris in Plainfield, Illinois. You are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hello. Thank you for taking me on my call, Congressman and Mr. Hartman. I just wanted to point out some insight. I think that the essence of the Republican Party and the essence of fascism is both hate and that one of the only ways to drive out hate is through the antithesis of hate, which is love. And wanted to ask Congressman what he would plan to do in order to purvey that image and see if he had any ideas on the situation. Yeah, Chris, uh, thanks for the question. I, I think one of the things that we've been trying to do, and by we I'm talking about the Democrats in general in most districts, are talking about you know what we want to do, which is uh, for the people in the country, right? Uh, things like health care, without question. The number one issue of this election cycle has been health care. Uh, we're watching Republicans after voting time after time after time to take away uh, and risk your protection for pre-existing conditions through all the votes they did in Congress and through lawsuits that you know states like Wisconsin are a part of. And yet now they all want to say they're for pre-existing conditions. So I think you know doing what really benefits people that they need health care. Uh, your you know your family, the things you worry about are whether or not you can afford your mortgage or rent, whether or not you have health care for your family. I mean you know basic core issues like that we have to address. So I think the more we take on those issues, and that helps Democrats, that helps Republicans, that helps independents. It's not like Donald Trump just trying to keep the base motivated with hate and divisiveness. Uh, we want to actually do things that benefit everyone. And uh, that's what we're trying to campaign on. And I think that's the single best way to convey what you're saying, Chris. Uh, let's not make it about fear and hate. Let's make it about hope and, and aspirational ideas. And I think healthcare, education, uh, good paying jobs and getting rid of the corruption in Washington are definitely at the very top of the list. Linda in Deerfield Beach, Florida, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Tom. Thank you, Congressman, for taking my call. My question to you is, and I already voted by absentee, I see November 6th is recount hell. I think a lot of states, ours being one of them, they're going to pull some shenanigans. But my question to you is, and I wish you would tell everybody out there, even Tom has conservative listeners, if we don't win the House and the Senate, how bad it's going to get. That's all I'm asking you to put it out there so they know what they're voting for. Thank you, Congressman, yeah, I, for your time. Linda, thank you so much for asking. So, you know, there's a couple fronts that I'm most nervous about. One is health care. We know that they have done everything they can to try to take apart the Affordable Care Act. They'll figure out a way to completely dismantle it. And if we lose that, 
That means we lose coverage for pre-existing conditions because they can jack the rates up to the point you won't be able to afford it, so you won't have coverage if you have a pre-existing condition. Uh, they will go after Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. They've already said that. You know, right after their tax bill, Paul Ryan said it a couple weeks ago. Mitch McConnell said it. Oh, my God, we have to go after entitlements. Don't forget, entitlements is their code for um, – it's not even a code. It's the, their expression for Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid – which, by the way, you've paid for your entire life uh, through your paychecks on Social Security and Medicare. So they will go after that. Uh, Paul Ryan has always wanted to privatize Social Security, get put in the hands of Wall Street, you know, let them uh, have some gambling fun, see how they do, and uh, Medicare put it into a voucher. And then you're going to lose even more access for people who have health care through Medicare. I mean, those are a couple issues. And then I'd also look at war and peace issues, you know, watching this president and how he handled the situation in Turkey with uh, the Saudi Arabian government uh, when Saudi Arabia is involved in you know, one of the biggest humanitarian crises in the world in Yemen, watching them not stand up to it, watching them talk tough to Iran, but then cozy up to North Korea. I mean, there is a lot to worry about that, uh, along with trade and so many other things. A lot is, is on the, the, the line with November 6th, but I think the last thing I would add, and Joe Biden said this far more eloquently than I'm going to uh, yesterday when he was in Wisconsin. Everyone knows Donald Trump. The question is, do we know who we are? Uh, we have to express who we are as an American people. So uh, Donald Trump may be a lot of things that many of us are not very happy with, um, but, uh, and for very, very good reason, who are we, the American people? And we have a way to express that on November 6th. And if you're not happy with the divisiveness uh, that, that comes out every single day that the president seems to truly enjoy putting out there, uh, your opportunity to take care of that is on November 6th. Ed, listening on Resistance Radio in Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, Ed, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Good morning to both of you. Thank you for what you do, Mark. I'm one of your constituents. Thank you, I was Ed. in that crowd yesterday at the University of Wisconsin. It's easy to look beyond the next election, assuming that we win, but regardless of how the outcome is going to be, what is being done to maintain the momentum that we have now for the next two years off election? Great question, Ed, and thanks for being there yesterday, Tom. We had a big rally on the UW-Madison campus with Joe Biden, Tammy Baldwin, our state candidates, and it was a great attended rally. We've got voter turnout up on campus. And, Ed, specifically to your question, interesting, I ran to someone who used to be a chief of staff for a former member of Congress yesterday who's been keeping track of everyone who's been to the four first states that have caucuses or primaries. He's kept a list of who's gone to all four states who have an organization and have like a consultant hired while they're doing campaigning. And he's got a list of 42 people that have done that. That means there's at least 42 people right now who would like to be president of the United States. So this we is are on both have, parties? No, on the Democratic Just side. Just on the Democratic side. Democratic. Wow. Yeah. 42 people that have been to all four states and, and met the other criteria he had. So given that, um, that tells me, you know, we're going to have a lot of people vying for that, that there's good and bad. Good, they're out working really hard. Um, bad, sometimes they all try to one-up each other, and that could be interesting. But I think for the rest of us is to make sure that we're putting out the issues that they can win on. So, you know, as the co-chair of the Progressive Caucus, we just built this uh, new um, this 501c3 uh, entity that's going to really work with our outside progressive partners to put progressive ideas out there. We're hoping that those will be the ideas that lead candidates. If you want to be president, you better be responding to the issues like Medicare for All and uh, debt-free college and a lot of the other things that we're putting out. So I think our, our job now is just to keep 
those issues to the forefront. Um, there's going to be a lot of people potentially running, but uh, if they're running, they better talk about what we talk about as real people. And you, as you know, most of the progressive issues are supported by a majority of the public. Uh, let's make sure that they're listening to the people. Congressman, we just have 50 seconds, so I'll toss out a quick question. You and Raul Grijalva are the leaders of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, Ro Khanna, the vice chair. Are any of you guys facing serious challenges? And I mean, you're all up for a re-election, you know, this is the House of Representatives. And if not, are there any other people that we would consider kind of the leadership of the Democratic Party or the progressive movement in particular, who are facing a substantial challenge in their district that we probably should be thinking about helping out in one way or another, you know, phone banking for them or something? Yeah, and I, I want to make sure you have Pramila Jayapal on that list because she's our first vice chair and she's been an uh-huh. awesome partner in our leadership team as well. Thank you. Um, no, no one is in a, a close district in our leadership, but we have a lot of races that we're watching. You know, uh, Kara Eastman in Omaha, Nebraska is one that I've been very impressed. They've run a, a really great grassroots campaign. They just got upgraded to a toss-up uh, by Nate Silver. You know, there's races like that that if we can win, if progressives win in Omaha, that sends a message nationally. So people need to keep focused on and all of those type of races. It's really important for us. Amen. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Continuing this conversation. Um, I've got some good news. So far, some of the people that are running from leadership from our caucus, and quite honestly, from our caucus's leadership team, not even just from the caucus itself, Barbara Lee is running for caucus chair. We have David Cicilline running for assistant majority leader. We have Catherine Clark running for the vice caucus chair. Uh, you're talking uh, we, not the progressive caucus, you're talking the entire no, Democratic caucus. The entire caucus. caucus chair. Yeah, the Democratic caucus, correct. Right. We have Jamie Raskin talking about running for a newly created leadership position for someone who's in their first three terms. We have a lot of other folks. We have 13 people that will be committee chairs, including people like Jerry Nadler, who's going to be in charge of the Judiciary Committee, that will be on TV a whole bunch because they'll be doing a lot of the hearings. So the good news is we will have progressives in key positions of power that will absolutely be making the news, even though corporate media is still difficult at times, but they're going to be in positions that they can't be ignored. And also, i got to tell you, I agree with you on the issues that move millennials on campus. I think something that surprised a lot of people, I went through a few issues, and we had a chant back from people to see, you know, intensity and, you know, let them know to get out to an early vote rally. When I talked about legalizing cannabis, you should have saw the extra response that we got. And in Wisconsin, in a lot of places on the ballot, in a lot of counties in Wisconsin, is legalizing cannabis or medical marijuana. And we need to make sure we're talking about a lot of different issues. But that's one that, you know, I think a lot of politicians often don't want to talk about unless they're from a state with it. And yet, I'll tell you, it's what real people do talk about. You know, they're mm-hmm. tired of people being incarcerated for it. So I think we are trying to make sure that we're listening to the millennials and talking about issues that are important in addition to those folks that are going to be part of our leadership. Great. Sharon, you got a quick question for Congressman Pocan from Madison, Illinois? Yes, I do. So my question is, Trump has been pretty much been using his bully pulpit from the day he got elected in, and has been getting his message out there to keep his momentum going. How are we as Democrats uh, combating this? I remember with President Obama, they spoke about the Ebola, and they played that drum until it drowned out everything else that was going on. And they keep doing this with a lot of other issues. So how are we as Democrats fighting back to get our message out there and drown their messages out, which basically is nothing? 
But yeah, somehow so Sharon, they get to keep it in Yeah, the good news and the bad news of it. I'll give you the bad news first. It's always tough. Whoever the president is going to get a thousand times more coverage, or at least a hundred times more coverage than any individual Democrat, because we don't have a single person that's the chair, you know, of Democrats. Uh, but the good news is we're all in unison on talking about health care and good-paying jobs and dealing with the corruption in Washington enough that that is being the national narrative. And I think that's positive because I haven't seen that in the previous uh, past election. But yeah, it seems, it seems to me that all the Democrats are singing from the same hymnal, and that's yeah. a good thing. George in Santee, California, you're on the air with Congressman Pokian. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. What I have to say is I have a lot of friends. I live down here in Duncan Hunter's district, and we're trying to get... A Mark Hamp and a jar over the top down here, but it's difficult. I have a lot of friends that are working class friends, some of them union, some of them non-union, that I notice is being influenced by right-wing hate radio and a lot of these conservative fake news websites. I think the proper uh, cautionary statement I have to them is that when you tune into these hate radio stations and fake news websites, you're dancing with the devil, and if you dance with the devil long enough, before you know it, you're right in step with him. I'd like your response to that. Yeah, George, I mean, you know, all they have is fear, right? That's all they're putting out there, this caravan. You know, I've said there is no caravan of transgender Nancy Pelosi supporters at the border, right? I mean, they're combining every little bit of fear they have in the last few days trying to scare people into uh, somehow caring and not looking at what the president's done around issues like separating families and a tax bill where 83% of the money goes to the top 1% in the big corporations and all of the attacks on health care. I mean, that's the reality of what Republicans have done in Congress. And now they're trying to run far, far, far away from that and scare people with all these little issues that you and I both know are, are not very real in the end. And I think we just have to make sure people understand that. Again, I think people do know what Donald Trump is about, many, many people. We need to get those folks out to vote to show who we are as a country. And I think, you know, any effort that people could put in, uh, knocking on doors, uh, making phone calls, using their social media, talking to their friends and family about these issues to make sure they early vote, because in many areas you can early vote right now, and you should, and then you can have time to help people get out on Election Day on Tuesday. It's going to really matter. So that's what I'm focused on, because I think the, the more Democrats, the more independents we get out, and fair-minded Republicans who are not happy with this administration and this Congress, we can have a successful Tuesday, November 6th. Rob in Chico, California, you're on the Earth Congressman Pokin. Morning, Congressman. I am as far from progressive as you can get, but I am sincerely want to be educated on what the progressives, if the progressives took leadership, what is their position on immigration? And specifically, describe what happens when someone crosses the border at the Rio Grande, say, man, woman, and two children. What what is the process? What would happen to them under progressive leadership? Sure. So, Rob, first of all, there's a lot of fear out there, right? They want to tell you we want open borders. No one wants open borders. Right now, we're actually violating international law. I've been down to the Hidalgo Bridge, for example, in Texas, where if you come to legally claim asylum, there is international law that there's a process in place that you can claim asylum by going through a process. Doesn't mean you're going to get it, but you have to have access to the process. We currently are often violating that. I think what we would like to do is there is two sessions ago when I first came to Congress, uh, there was a bill, not perfect, but a really good place to start that was a bipartisan compromise that came out of the Senate with almost 70 votes, which is pretty much... It passed of. the Senate. 
They passed the Senate. Came out of the Republicans and Democrats. Mitch and McConnell did not take it up under John Boehner and Paul Ryan's leadership, and because of that, we've gone nowhere in six years. So the problem is. Republicans in the House stopped something going forward that would have had two things. One, extra protections at the borders. So all of this talk, we don't want a giant wall at the cost of billions and billions, but you can have and should have extra protections at the borders. But also we need to have a pathway to citizenship for the aspiring Americans who currently are here. You can't neglect that 13 million people who are undocumented currently live here. We've got to figure out how to deal with that. And right now, instead, all we're dealing with is trying to tell you there's 3,500 people in a caravan who might in six weeks get to the border so we're sending troops now in an election ploy to try to deal with it the issues they're saying that we're that we want to let people in to give them benefits all the rest it's so ridiculous that i'm surprised anyone actually believes it but donald trump has done a great job in uh, lying about this telling you not to believe the media who are telling you the truth that just listen to donald trump because he'll tell you people who are not citizens are not who are not here legally are not eligible for any of these benefits so they ridiculous. do pay their taxes, but they don't get any benefits. But they don't get anything for it, so we get a net gain. But also, yeah. Paul Ryan, even on a very rare occasion, you get this about you get about once a year from Paul these days, said the president was wrong on trying to do the birthright citizenship issue because mm. it takes a constitutional change. And again, Donald Trump is lying about that. So let's have a better process for the people who are currently here. Let's protect our borders in a better, smarter way using technologies, but we can look at what they had just two sessions ago and work off of that and not have to go for all the fear-mongering that this president and the Republicans in Congress are putting forward. It sounds to me like what you're suggesting is something very similar to what Reagan did in 86. And the, the one thing that Reagan, uh, the one change that he made was prior to 86, if employers hired people who were not here legally, the employers themselves got busted. They could go to jail, they had huge fines, and as a result of that, the entire construction industry was well unionized. The meatpacking industry was, you know, paid really good money, was well unionized. Reagan stopped enforcing that law, and no president since Reagan has started it. It's still on the books, but no president has seriously enforced that. And Trump isn't either. Everybody criminalizes yep. the individual people who are, you know, looking for a job, but not the employers who are hiring them. And so the construction industry has lost, you know, it's, it's become de-unionized largely because of non-citizen labor. The meatpacking industry, same thing. In fact, they're running ads in newspapers down in Mexico looking for help for the meatpacking industry up in the upper Midwest. Wouldn't an important progressive part of that be to start enforcing those laws, putting white employers in jail instead of, you know, brown workers? Absolutely. In fact, right now, not only does it hurt all workers because they're able to treat some workers differently, but also they're taking advantage of people because if you speak out, then you can be deported. So you actually, in some ways, have almost borderline slave-like conditions in places because the workers can't speak out. So again, and that hurts all workers. So there's a lot that we can do and we need to do, but we have actually a pretty good framework. We can go back to just a couple sessions ago, pass in a bipartisan way out of the Senate, and that would be a great start. Yeah. I should add, by the way, there's a fair amount of evidence that indicates that the reason Reagan stopped enforcing that law was specifically to destroy the unions in the United States. And sure enough, in multiple industries, that's exactly what happened. Paul Lett in Allen Park, Michigan. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, I'm a transgender woman. I wanted to ask the congressman about this thing that President Trump has been talking about, where they're talking about erasing 
transgender people's identity. I'm someone that's had surgery, and I'm legally and medically female. I have an F on my gender ID, on my driver's license. I've had a whole bunch of things changed, but I haven't had my birth certificate changed. Can you tell me, can he do anything in reality to hurt us transgender people, and what can be done to stop him? Yeah, Paula, thank you for the question. The second part, let me answer first. The way you stop him from whether it be banning uh, people who are transgender serving us in the military or issues like this is you get everyone you know out to vote November 6th. So we flip the House of Representatives and it's going to be a lot harder for him and try to flip the Senate to get anything done. There's a lot of things he says he can do that he'll very likely be challenged in court because, again, he doesn't actually have the power to do, like we saw with immigration, like we saw with the challenges when he tried to ban transgender Americans from serving in the military. So I think what he's doing is election time, he's putting up everything that he thinks is fearful for some people that are in his base, throwing it against the wall. And unfortunately, all too often, the Republicans have used the transgender community, whether it be the bathroom issue, the religious liberty law, and being able to not sell things to certain people, or most recently, what we've heard he may be doing. These are all issues he's doing to try to get his base out, because they're not all that excited about him with family separation and other issues. So People don't understand the real impact, people who don't live and breathe politics, who don't listen to your show, Tom, who don't follow politics very closely. I was doing Doors Saturday with Randy Bryce in the south part of Janesville, in a lower middle-class neighborhood. And I went to one door, and I talked to the woman, and I said, are you planning on going on vote a week from Tuesday? And she said, if we're still able to live here. So she's worried about being evicted because they're having a hard time paying the rent. I talked to another woman. It was a lesbian couple. And until I mentioned myself that my husband and I live in the western part of Dane County, and, and then she opened up a little bit, what she told me was she's afraid because her and her partner, as two women living together on a government list, a voting list, they're afraid that at point, some point someone may come to get them. And this is the fear that's put out there when it's the others, right? It's Middle Easterners, it's people across the border, it's the transgender community, it's all the people that he's willing to attack and throw under the bus. People feel it who don't follow politics, and they're very, very afraid, and we're seeing that out there. And I just wanted to offer that because I love doing doors because I get the real conversations with people who don't just think about politics at a high level who are just worried about life. But this is the things that they're actually thinking about. And, you know, we just have to know that it's really even more awful, I think, than some of us sometimes refer to when Donald Trump does this. It has a negative, negative impact on real people's lives. Are you and your husband concerned about what might happen if the Supreme Court reverses Obergefell? Well, I mean, a lot of things have happened to a lot of people who've been married. I mean, again, you know, Donald Trump's on whatever number he's on, number three, not because my husband and I, it's because he's got the problem, right? right. And, uh, you know, I think we need to make sure everyone realizes that. But there's a lot of threats to, you know, couples like us, to that couple in Janesville and so many other people. But the fact that she actually was afraid to be on a government list with her partner it just really hit me because it's like that's what real people are worried about and that's what the divisiveness that this president's creating what people are feeling out in america yeah amen keith in landrum south carolina hey tom and congressman for next tuesday i just want to remind everybody that the wasted vote is the one that's not cast for my question uh tom mentioned this the other day if by chance it theoretically or whatever that trump got rid of the 14th amendment would that also remove corporate citizenship, as in uh, corporations or people, as Mitt Romney claimed. 
Keith, first of all, I don't think he's going to be able to do it because you have to take a constitutional change. And even then, I think he would probably try to surgically address it rather than just get rid of it in its entirety. So while I don't have an exact answer for you, I'm kind of spitballing on this one. And I think that he would definitely not touch that aspect of it. Yeah, my not quite tongue in cheek response. You know, I mean, there's only 30 countries in the world that have birthright citizenship. It's what we have and it's who we are. But there's lots of other ways to organize citizenship that are reasonable and egalitarian. My response was, you know, if they want to tinker with the 14th Amendment, if you want to take out birthright citizenship, then in exchange for that, put the word natural before the word person in the 14th Amendment, because that use of the word person, no person shall be deprived equal protection under the laws, that literally is the basis of the Supreme Court's assertion that corporations are persons. And so, you know, that's a swap I'd be willing to make was what he was referring to in any case. Jacob in Baltimore, Maryland, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, gentlemen. Thanks for taking my call. I want to ask the congressman about, given the new ICCC report that just came out earlier this month, which says that basically we need to have entirely turned the ship around by 2030, just over a decade away. And by 2050, there is no path which they calculated which the entire world is not at net zero emissions. So clearly, the U.S. has to be a leader in that. And what I'm wondering is, I know that the Progressive Caucus has 100% renewable energy as a platform. But what is the actual serious plan for trying to address this? We only have one shot. This is a qualitatively different issue than any other issue that we face. We only get one shot to do it. And frankly, we need World War II level mobilization and a global green Marshall plan. And are the Democrats ready and willing to, or at least the progressives among them, ready and willing to fight for that? Yeah. So, Jacob, I mean, this is one where really the people are going to have to lead more and more on this and make the leaders eventually follow. While we are strongly in support of that, we have several caucuses around, you know, climate change and safe climate. The real problem is Donald Trump will still be president, and he's the guy who pulled us out of the Paris Climate Agreement. I don't see him suddenly flipping, given the people he's put in the EPA and everything else. So we have a fight, uh, and we can try to do things legislatively, but this is going to take the people power grassroots initiatives to really get it done. Yeah, it's going to be a big lift, and Jacob is so right about the urgency of this. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls. We'll be right back with more of your calls for Congressman Pocan in just a moment. Imagine the panic that swept over this dad. He was working late when he got an alert on his smartphone. His Blink motion-activated security camera picked up something. He opens the Blink app and views a video clip of a man peering through his kitchen window. He calls 911 and alerts his wife. Preventing situations like this is what Blink is all about. The point of having a home security system is to help alert you before some creep breaks into your home, not after. Blink motion-activated HD cameras are wire-free, set up in minutes, and run on batteries that last up to two years. And Blink's live feed option lets you monitor what's happening at home anytime, anywhere from your smartphone. No contracts, no subscriptions, and Blink even works with Alexa. Here's the deal. Get your Blink camera system starting at less than $100. No contracts or subscriptions. Visit BlinkProtect.com Tom, T-H-O-M, for details. BlinkProtect.com Tom, T-H-O-M. BlinkProtect.com Tom. Blink is an Amazon company. Steve in St. Genevieve, Missouri. Steve, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, Tom. Hey, Congressman. My question is to the Congressman. First, uh, I live in Missouri, and the marijuana Prop C is going to be, I think it's the third time they're going to try to go for it again in this state. 
You were talking about the banking system earlier, about trying to push the federal banking out and give it more to the state. Is that going to actually benefit marijuana companies? Because uh, from my understanding right now, you can't deposit any of that profits into a FDIC account. Right. Congressman, that has to do with marijuana being classified yeah. as a Schedule One drug, right? Thank you, Steve. Right. And I'll tell you, Steve, this is one where I'm really hopeful. There are Republicans who also think this is a crazy notion, and there are moderate and conservative Democrats who think this is a crazy notion that you have a legal business and you can't put money in a bank because of some antiquated uh, interpretation of what marijuana is. I think that's something that we can change. I haven't heard Donald Trump express an opinion one way or the other on it, but I do think it's something that you could actually see some bipartisanship happen. It is an antiquated approach to something that now is a legal business in many states, and I do think we can change that law. Yeah. You know, so often people say this is the most important election of our lifetimes. I truly, honestly believe that this is. Uh, Donald Trump is something I never, ever expected. I talk to people, and they're like, you couldn't write a novel this bad, and yet this is what we're living through, and if elections have consequences. Wisconsin's one of those states where we had a 250,000 Democratic vote dropout, and he won Wisconsin. We all need to do everything we can in the remaining days to, one, vote early, and two, spend time helping get out voters. It is so very important. I want our conversation next week, Tom, to be talking about all the successes we had and how progressives won in, in all these interesting parts of the country and these great referendums the past. It only happens if we participate and vote. And I just really want to encourage everyone to do whatever you can, give a little more in the next week of your time and effort, and we can get this done. If somebody listening wants to you know, reach out and do some phone banking from home or something, where do they, who do they call? Where do they go? What's the website? I would say, you know, find a candidate. I'm sure the candidates will do it. Most of the Democratic parties do in, in states and local communities. You can contact them. Groups like Indivisible and Move On have great efforts. Uh, you can probably contact uh, those as well. I don't think there'll be a, a a hard way to find a way to get involved. Um, but there you go. Please do that. Okay. Amen. Congressman Mark Pocan, thanks so much for being with us today, Congressman. Absolutely. Thank you, Tom. Always an honor to host you here on this program. You can check out his website at pocan.house.gov, and you can tweet him at rep, R-E-P, as in representative, Mark, M-A-R-K, Pocan, P-O-C-A-M. Joe in Long Beach, California. Hey, Joe, what's on your mind? The way that you combat the Republican fear tactics is to cleverly mock them. What we lack as a party is speaking with conviction mm. and passion. And that's where Trump is very effective, even though he touts lies and stokes fear. But that's one of the reasons why I am attracted to Michael Avenatti. And I know we, your, your show has had discussions about him, but he does talk with conviction and passion. And we need to speak simply. That's just where we are today. Joe, did you by any chance catch the uh, Chris Matthews town hall, college tour, whatever he called it, down yes, in Texas with Beto mm -hmm. O'Rourke? Yeah, excellent. Beto seems to me like he could be this generation's JFK or FDR. What do you think? Um, yeah, I, I kind of think he's kind of a Kennedy-esque, actually, if you ask me. Yeah. He's likable, he's good-looking, and he represents um, the millennial generation. Yep. And he speaks with passion. Um, I, saw, I saw Nancy Pelosi on one of the, the nighttime shows, and I was not really happy. That was her platform to actually motivate people to go out and vote. Yeah, I thought it was a mistake for her. To, I, I saw the clip from whatever late night show that was where she said, we've got it in the bag. Don't worry, we're going to win. And I thought that's not the message we should be. I mean, we hope to win, right? But uh, right. You know, with, the, with the voter suppression. Joe, I, I thank you for the call. I, I agree with you. 
Ron in Portland, listening to X-Ray FM. Hey, Ron, what's up? I think you're 100% right in if we can get the media to stop covering his rallies, but I do think we need to take it one step further, and that is just stop them from going to the White House briefings. Yeah. And, and, and standing that? next to the helicopter and going to the, to the maggot rallies. I mean, all this stuff, exactly. you know, just, just back exactly. off, give it a break, take it, you know, walk away. They don't report on the Bernie Sanders rallies. They could do the same thing with Donald Trump. They could ignore him just as effectively. Exactly. If the only people in the, in the, in the audience are National Enquirer and Fix News, I think it would be a whole different story. I absolutely agree. Ron, thanks a lot for the call. The, the problem that we have is that so much of the media is driven by ratings. They don't care what impact they have on our democracy. They just want to know how much money are we going to make, how many people are watching so that we can sell those numbers to our advertisers. And that's sadly where we're at now as a result of, in part, what Reagan did in 87 with the Fairness Doctrine and also in 96, the Telecommunications Act of 1996 and this massive media consolidation. But anyhow, we'll work on it, right? We need to get Democrats elected. So get out there, get to the polls, talk to your friends about it, get them motivated, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.